Hello, and welcome to This Speech Life, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com, exploring all things related to school-based SLP practice. I'm your host, Caitlin Lopez, MSCCC SLP, a pediatric SLP with 10 years experience in the school setting. Each week, we will cover three need-to-know aspects of that episode topic, two resources related to the topic, and one actionable strategy for tomorrow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of This Speech Life, the one about AAC with the fabulous Dr. Cherie Dodge. We are so excited that she's going to be spending some time with us this afternoon or evening, depending on where you are. I am Caitlin Lopez, the host. I am a pediatric SLP based in Southern California. Before we get started, I am going to report the financial and non-financial disclosures. I am Caitlin Lopez, the host of the podcast, This Speech Life. I receive compensation for this podcast episode. I have no non-financial disclosures to report. Dr. Dodge receives an honorarium for being a guest on this podcast episode and non-financial disclosures. She is a board member for the Oregon Speech and Hearing Association, and she is an ASHA SIG-12 member. I am so pleased to introduce to all of you Dr. Cherie Dodge. She's an assistive technology consultant, adjunct professor, and published researcher. Prior to her position in assistive technology, she worked for 20 years as a speech language pathologist in pediatric private practice, rehabilitation clinics, and schools. Dr. Dodge has a clinical doctorate in speech pathology and is currently studying for her doctor of education degree. Dr. Dodge is a pioneer in the world of SLP blogs and social media. She was one of the first SLP bloggers, and her blog, Superpower Speech, contains over 700 posts. Dr. Dodge loves directing her creative energy towards designing fun and easy-to-use therapy materials. She has created over 300 resources to support goals in AAC, language, articulation, and social skills. As a formerly competitive debater, she loves public speaking on fun topics such as AAC, literacy, language, and SLP organization strategies. She has presented on a variety of topics at the local, state, and national levels. Dr. Dodge is the proud mama of two teens and two puppies. She and her husband live in beautiful Portland, Oregon, and in her free time, you can find her hiking, pelotoning, or reading. And I am so grateful for all of Dr. Dodge's work. I found her through Teachers Pay Teachers and started following her blogs. Your core boards are the ones that I've been using from day one. So thank you for that. Her RTI resources is also a huge favorite of mine. She has so many great things. And so that is what has led me to her. And I'm so excited to share her with all of you. So, Dr. Dodge, as we jump in, what are three things that school-based SLPs need to know about AAC? Thank you so much for that great introduction. I feel like, wow, was that really all me? It's hard to keep track of the things that I've done in my life, but I love AAC. I have had a passion for it ever since I 
graduated from my master's, which was quite a while ago, and I was put into a classroom with non-speaking individuals who were working on switch-activated environmental control. And I had no idea what to do with them as a CF. No one had trained me. No, there was no course in AAC. There wasn't even an optional course in AAC when I was in graduate school in my particular school. So I have gone on and decided to move across the country and do a fellowship specifically on AAC and then ended up working in the schools. Some of my classes were for students with complex communities. But what's really interesting is that I feel like even though I learned some during those initial years, the main things that I've learned about AAC have really been in the last five or six years. I'm not sure if it all just kind of congealed at that point or just so much has changed in the field since I started out, or it just took me a long time to get all of the ideas that had been swirling in my head into a more cohesive package. And the other thing, and I was surprised to find this, but I did find that when I started doing my doctorate and doing really digging into the research on communication partner strategies in AAC, that things really also started to click into place. So with all that said, I have three things, and then we should go into depth on each of them, but I'm just going to list them right now. So three things that I feel like every school SLP should really know about AAC First, that, that it really is like a language system and that, that handing it over to a student and just handing it and expecting them to know how to use it is unfair to them and unfair to you. Just like I wouldn't just drop you into a Spanish-speaking country and say, good luck. I would provide you with some instruction and I would be working with you throughout that time. The second thing is that AAC is really, really broad. There's no just one AAC. In fact, AAC is part of a robust system, or it should be part of a robust system. And there's three components to a robust aided AAC system that all AAC users should have some access to. And the first is they should have some access to white tech, which is typically thought of as being paper-based, but is not always paper-based. It can be any number of things. The other is mid-tech, which is like battery operated, where you are pushing a button, or maybe there are several buttons, but it's very limited in terms of what you're able to say. And it has no like computer programming. You record your voice, and so you have certain messages. And then the last part of a robust aided AAC system is the high-tech, and that's when we typically start thinking about the tablets and the computers. So all that to say there are many components to an AAC, robust AAC system, and users really should have access in some way to all of them, at least at the beginning. And then you can decide, you know, maybe this particular part is not the best match for them right now. But to take only one component of them and say, we're only going to do light tech is really doing that student, that individual, that adult a disservice. And then the third thing that I think all school-based SLP should know about AAC 
is that communication partner strategies are absolutely critical. So the research has shown that most people don't know how to help individuals who have complex communication needs. They either treat them in an age inappropriate way, or they talk too fast, or they don't give them a time to respond. And so the research has come up with a number of different strategies that communication partners can use. And it's funny because there are so many, but they kind of wind down to the same, like three or four main ideas. And so I came up with a acronym that spells a word. So there's different things out there. There's a rap system, there's the master pal, there's the car, there's, there's all sorts of things. But what I came up with was I kind of combined all of them. And I said, you know what, if we can just remember that communication partners need to be wise, then we are off to a really good start. So here's what the acronym stands for. W is for weight. We need to make sure that communication partners are giving their AAC users at least five to 10 seconds to respond. And that means both when they ask a question, but it also means when they make a comment, just giving them the opportunity to respond. If I'm in a conversation with you, I will probably try to interrupt you all the time because that's just me. I like to interrupt. But a lot of our AAC users, they can't interrupt. Their brain isn't processing at the same speed. And so we need to give them that extra time. The other way to think about that is an expectant pause where you give them the benefit of the doubt. Like you start to say something and then you're like, uh-uh, and you can't see me, right? Some of you can see me, but not everyone can see me. But I'm, my mouth is open and I'm like, ah. What are you going to say? I'm so excited. And then if they don't say anything, that's okay. You move on or you say, oh, maybe what you were thinking was blank, but you give them that opportunity. The I is for, I've actually changed around my I. What I decided, first I said I was for interpret because we want to interpret all behavior as communication. And sometimes that means giving, and I'm going to call them students because that's my area the students, the benefit of the doubt that whatever they did, even if it was just like a little burp, you interpret that as, oh, that you're just trying to tell me that blank or you liked what I just said. But I've actually changed that. I think I is better as a invite, that you are going to invite your AAC users to communicate with you. And great ways to do that are asking open-ended questions by asking for their opinion about something thing by using I wonder statements. I think that's probably my favorite. I wonder, especially like if you're reading a book, wonder what the dog is going to do next. And then waiting. And then if they don't respond, that's fine. You just move on. The S is for show, which is just modeling. So we need to make sure that we take whatever that child's communication system is and we model on it or show them how to use it. Matter of fact, some people talk about the fact that our AAC users really need direct instruction. When you see squiggly lines in a language that you like, let's say it's Arabic, some language you don't know, then those are meaningless until someone actually teaches you. Well, the symbols that we show our students, like 
whatever they are, board maker or smarty symbols or, or whatever you're using, most of those are pretty meaningless. We don't know what they are. The only reason the adults know what those symbols are is because it's printed right above the word. Things like just a box. There's no way that I would be able to guess that a box meant it unless I could read that or unless someone taught it to me. So we need to make sure that we are always showing our AAC users how to use their system. And then the E in WISE is for expand. We wanna take whatever they are communicating and expanding it. What we try to say is if they're communicating symbolically, we expand it by one word. So let's say your AAC user communicates the word go, and they might do that through verbal speech, they might do that through an AAC device, they might do that through sign language. You're gonna expand what they said by adding one more word. You say, oh, go home, or let's go, or go stop to expand that and kind of show them within their zone of proximal development that they can go just a little bit further with that without totally overwhelming them. Now, expand also means that if the child is not communicating symbolically, that you come up with, sometimes, not all the time, you come up with an idea of what you think that they're trying to say. So they make a noise and you go, oh, I think you're trying to say, go home. And that's where you're expanding what their noise was. And we do this all the time with like typically developing babies, right? You're typically developing like nine month old is like, right? And so we take that and we expand it and we go, oh, mama, you're trying to say mama. And then those really meaningless sounds that the child initially started with start to take on meaning. And eventually, for most children, mama starts becoming a meaningful symbolic word, whereas it just started as playing with their mouth sounds. So, Kaylin, those are my three things. I'm sure you have some questions about those. Yeah, I loved what you were saying as far as thinking about AAC as a whole different language. And then that idea of when we think of it as a whole different language comes direct instruction which I really liked your acronym too, WISE. I was scribbling it down and what that looks like. So I think that those are some really good things to think about. And then as far as the robust, you know, offering all three of the different types of AAC light tech to the more high tech and offering all three of those at all time. I think that's something that we don't, I haven't seen a lot of in my districts. Usually it's, and I know that research shows you don't have to be a master at PECS in order to use something that's more robust. So I really like that idea of using all three. In terms of having all three at the same time, it sounds like you're saying that you need all three at the same time. And that's not what I'm trying to communicate. I'm trying to say that those are all tools in your communication toolkit. And there are times when a white tech is going to be most appropriate. And there are times that a mid tech is going to be really appropriate. And then there are definitely times when a high tech is going to be appropriate. And it's not necessarily all at the same time. Matter of fact, they did some 
interviews with adult AAC users and ask them their preferences for what do they like to use. And granted, these adults were often raised in an environment where there wasn't technology all around them the way that our students are being raised. But a number of them said they communicated that they prefer the white tech because it doesn't break down. And so every individual is going to have preferences for what they like and who they use it with. So they might like using a high tech with one person and a white tech with maybe a stranger who is kind of put off by the electronic voice of a high tech device. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification of utilizing what is appropriate to the situation as opposed to having all of the things ready at all of the times. I think that's a great clarification. So why don't we jump into what two resources or what resources you have for us if we want to either learn more or be better practitioners of teaching AAC or using AAC in the classroom. And then I'll probably have some more questions as we move along. Okay, I'm going to give you way more than two resources, though. So the first thing, and this really developed within the last mm, four or five years, is that the ASHA website has just beefed up their evidence maps and their practice portal. And they have so much information on there now, if you're an ASHA member, that you can get access to for free. So that is the very first thing I would say that was not available until just a few years ago. Matter of fact, I remember when I started my doctorate program, it was the first time I was really exploring the ASHA site. I don't, I just never bothered before. There were all these things called evidence maps. And then there were, underneath it said, coming soon. And I was like, well, that's not helpful. And by the time I finished my doctorate, they were all like, there. And there's still a few areas that are still say coming soon, but there are areas that aren't as applicable to my job. So I would say for sure, you want to go into ASHA and go to their practice portal and their evidence maps on AAC. Another place to go is a blog called Practical AAC. Carol Zangari is the one who compiles it, but it's a lot of guest posting. And she is a professor slash AAC expert in Florida, who's just done such a marvelous job putting all these things together. It's kind of like she's the editor of this blog. And it's been going on for many years at this point. So she just keeps going. She's like the Energizer Bunny with all her great ideas and keeping things going. And then on Instagram, there are a couple of sites that have come up recently that are, or handles or accounts, I guess you call them, that I just think are so amazing. And they're like my heroes. I want to be like these people. So the first is drawn to AAC, and this individual not only does their own art and is quite a talented artist, but they also put like all these things of, you know, what is AAC and speech bubbles of different things about AAC, and it's very informational as well. Matter of fact, I ended up becoming one of their sponsors, where it's kind of like a Patreon member where I pay a certain amount just to support them and to get some extra content from them because I just love their resources. And then the other person that I think is just amazing is Kate McLaughlin on, she's on Instagram and on 
Facebook. And her platform is called the AAC Coach. And it also is just infographics, just so much information. You could teach entire courses based on her infographics and just learn so many things. And they're just really friendly. I sometimes will use them within my trainings with school staff because they're just really friendly for people who are like, I don't know what to do. And you just look at this infographic with the little bitmoji person and you're like, oh, I can do this. This is okay. And so those are some areas for learning about AAC. And all of those are free resources that you can find online. Also, there's also a lot of ways to get some free AAC as well. So you can get free white tech AAC by going to some of the big companies and just looking up free. So like the Saltillo company has their free boards that you can print out and it comes with fringe vocabulary. The Lamp Words for Life, you can print out as a just a free core. There are quite a few different sites out there. So if you have a language system that either A, you're really interested in, or B, you have students who are already using it, go to their website and see if you can print out a version of it. I know that we have a lot of students in my school district who are using WordPower on TouchChat or on InnovaChat. And so it's been so easy just to print those out and include the fringe vocabulary and give them as what we say is that they're backup systems in case something goes wrong with their high tech. But like I was saying before, sometimes it's just more appropriate to have a white tech with you. Like for example, when you're going into the bathroom, yes, in theory, you could carry your high tech device with you, but it would be a lot more sanitary and convenient to have a white tech system either with you or like taped to the wall. So you can still communicate with people, but you don't have to worry about getting your device wet or nasty. So those are some ways to get some free light tech. And then high tech, there are a few free high tech apps out there if you have an iPad. One of them that I learned of fairly recently is called Weave Chat AAC. And so what's really interesting about this system, because the SLP part of the team who made it contacted me and she, and I think it's her fiance, were like sitting around during the pandemic being like, doo, 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 what do we do? And so she was a fairly new SLP and he was a programmer and they're like, I know, let's make an AAC system that's always going to be free. It'll, you'll never be charged for it. And let's also make it so that we can, users can text each other using a combination of symbols and words. And so she put that out there and she's been working on updating it and things like that as well, which is, it's really fun, but it's also really amazing because she's promised that this is going to be a forever free. Now, it's not the most robust of systems, but it's definitely a great starting point if you have nothing available to you and you want to get started with some AAC. In addition, a lot of the big companies will offer a free subscription to SLPs or evaluators only for trial purposes. It's a little bit of a pain because the reps don't have an unlimited number. They have a certain number that they can give out 
But as long as you get in contact with the reps for the different companies, like you know PRC or Saltillo or Dynavox, they might be able to get you a code so that you can download it for free. And then what you do is you use that as like a trial with your students while you are trying to figure out if high tech AAC is a good match for them or which particular language system is the best match because there are so many different ones out there. They're all same but different. So, you know, sometimes it can be tricky to kind of tease out the best match for your students. Are you taking advantage of the certificate tracker? Not only does it store your certificates from all of your evidence-based and practical courses from speechtherapypd.com, but you can also upload certificates earned from other CE providers. It's the easiest way to store and keep track of your CEUs. Just another perk of membership. Something I was going to mention about practical AAC is she really helped me figure out what goals are appropriate for AAC within the school system. You know, it's not just we'll use their AAC appropriately, but do they know how to operate their AAC? Can they know to advocate and make sure it's charged? Do they know to navigate to, you know, two pages or to the correct folder when finding their icons to make their sentences. So she really opened up my eyes to just how involved AAC is beyond just learning a new language system or utilizing a new language system. There's a lot more to it. Yeah, yeah, you can have full goals. You know, so what's interesting is I did for a little while, I wrote goals that were about operations of the AAC. And I still think that those are appropriate. But what I found was that I didn't necessarily, for me at least, and this is not true for everyone, I didn't need to write the goal as long as I just continued to work on it every day. Because for a lot of kids, the goal was whatever, they've learned to turn it on and off and like within two sessions, they got it. And I was like, well, I guess that wasn't really an appropriate annual goal. But it still just should be part of what you're teaching. It should be part of your lessons, okay. What are we going to do first? What are we going to do now? You know, and having them, oh, it's too loud. Ah, it's too loud. And seeing if they'll figure out, oh, I need to turn down the volume. And some students pick up on that very quickly and some need very direct instruction. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that point of how operation goals may not necessarily be appropriate. But I know what you mean, because I remember writing some of those and thinking, okay, these kids are way more tech savvy than I was at their age. They already know how to scroll and do things simply because of being exposed to technology in ways that I wasn't at their age. But yeah, the operations goal is maybe not a good example because I know like when I've evaluated kids, that's the piece that they seem to know the best. But it was helpful in thinking about how do I word, you know, how to navigate to multiple pages or beyond just our language goals that we write. It got me thinking about that in other ways. That was good. Uh, While we're talking about goals, there's something that I feel like is really important that I have come across a lot. And I'm so guilty of this. It was really only through my doctorate program that I started realizing that the way I had been writing goals was not good for AAC users. What I used to do and what I still see a lot is goals that are like, by the end of the year, Johnny will request desired items, period. 
And so there's no numbers. It's not measurable. It's not specific. Or that Johnny will use all functions of communication. And so the things that I really, really want to emphasize is that, and this is not just for AAC, but I feel like because people are really shaky on writing AAC goals, this comes out more often, that you need to write a goal that has a baseline. If you can't measure it today, then you're not going to be able to measure it in a year. So if you can't measure how many times he's requesting, then don't put that as a goal. Instead, what I often would end up doing would be to say something like, you got to give a prompt level, like when given verbal prompt only or indirect prompt only, Johnny will request a desired item two times within a five minute play activity in two consecutive sessions or, you know, two out of three sessions. So that way it's very, it's a time bound because no one's going to follow Johnny around all school day long and make checklists of every time that he had an opportunity to want something and whether or not he did it. So I feel like making it time bound when you're coming up with these really big goals is really important and making it not only time bound, but short time bound. I mean, let's be realistic, like 30 minutes is the max. Like, don't say more than 30 minutes because most sessions aren't going to last more than 30 minutes and nobody has time within the classroom to go around and making check marks. So I came up with this like goal developer that I've shared. It's in my store, but I also shared it with the other speech has in my district. And I really break down where are they having trouble? What are they currently doing? What is their exact baseline? Are they requesting zero times? Okay, well, then what's reasonable for a year from now? And then if you need to write objectives, because you do, at least in my state, you have to write objectives if the child is going to be doing the extended assessment. Don't write the objectives that are totally different than the goal. You're just changing the time amount. So if my objective is that, let's say Johnny is going to use three requests in a five-minute period during a preferred activity, great. So my objectives are by the end of the first trimester, he'll be making one request in that five-minute period. And then by the end of the second semester or trimester, he'll be making two requests in a five-minute period. And then by the end of the third trimester, he'll be making three requests. So they all are leading up directly to that main goal that I had. It's so crazy to get into AAC for just an hour because I'm thinking of all of these questions that I have for you that are related to AAC, but you know, about goal writing and therapy and strategies for partner communication and partner modeling and buy-in for teachers. And there's just so much that we can break down. So why don't we get into the actionable strategy that we have for tomorrow, and then we can start to unpack some of these other things possibly. Okay, so I'm going to tell you my actionable strategy that I feel like everyone could just do tomorrow is the thing that I actually did my doctoral research on. And if you want to read a really confusing paper, you can look it up. It's in the, you know, the language, speech, and something services in the schools, and it just came out is on book reading. So what I think is a fabulous way to work on AAC for a student that's willing to sit and read a storybook with you, and I know not all are, but for those kids that are just like, yes, this is a great activity, is to sit down with them, 
have the book in between you, have the AAC system in between you as well. And that I did, my research was using light tech, but you could use high tech. You could even use mid tech in this. It would work great. Like that's funny. Like that would be a great mid tech button or turn the page, right? And so what you're going to do is you're going to follow all of the strategies that Jennifer Kent Walsh talked about. She has a wrap. It's called wrap. So first you're going to read the page. And then you're going to wait. Remember, we're waiting five to 10 seconds. Is is the kid going to say something? Okay, they don't say anything. That's okay. Now I'm tweaking rap a little. You're going to invite them in to say something. Don't turn the page yet. Invite them in. What do you think will happen? Or, oh, that's such a pretty shirt. And then wait to see if they're going to communicate. And sometimes it's appropriate to answer your own question. Like, I wonder if you like going to the store. Yes, you do. I saw you go last week. Okay, great. And then after you've gone through all of that, then turn the page and go to the next page. You're modeling on the kids' AAC system while you're doing all this. So you don't have to model every word. That's pretty unrealistic. You're not expecting that student to be, you know, using 10 words per page. So model one or two words. I had in my study, I had people model two word phrases. So use their system to model one to two words. And it can just be core words. If the fringe that's from that page, like the names or the specific animals, if it's an animal book, if you don't have those on the system, that's okay. You can use use the words that are right there that you can see. Go, help, see, more, different. You know, you can just use those words. That's fine. And something else that I think some people get caught up on is they're like, oh, well, I just use the word assist. I don't see assist on the AAC system. What am I going to do? I can't find that word. We use a synonym. We do that all the time with like our toddlers. We'll use a big word and then we'll kind of be like, oh, yeah, and that means blank. Well, you're just doing that on the AAC system. So you use the big word like assist, but you still point to help on the system because they're synonyms. It's close enough. The other thing you can do, and I just did this today, it was super fun. We were playing, I have a little group I'm trying to do where I have this 21-year-old AAC user who's going in and quote-unquote mentoring an eight-year-old AAC user who's been reluctant about using her device. And so we went in, I went to see them today, and it's just play-based. We're just like, what are we going to do today? So the eight-year-old grabbed a game from the shelf, and she chose Yeti in my spaghetti, which I was like, oh boy, how's this going to go? Because they both have some fine motor concerns. So we, we had the box. And then what we did was we made every part of it into a activity where they could practice on their devices. So first, what are we going to take out first? We're going to take out the, what, what, what are these things? And it was noodles. So then they had to see if they could find noodles on their device. And I had a device as well for modeling. Another fun fact is these two girls are using different systems. So we had to find them on the two different systems, which were similar but different. So we found noodles. One girl's it was under Chinese food. The other girl's it was under Italian food, which are both correct. And then we had a bowl. So we had to find the word bowl. And then the last thing was the Yeti, right? So you're like, oh my gosh, they're not going to have a Yeti. And I was like, oh, I know. We'll just call it a monster. No problem, right? No, neither of these systems has the word monster. So I was trying to use some descriptive teaching. And I was like, okay, so what can we use instead? of? I'm trying to do this really fast in my head before I lose their attention. And I was like, I know. We're going to call it a scary animal. And so then we went through both of their devices and we found scary 
animal to describe the monster, even though he's pretty cute. And then we play the game from there. So I have no idea where that all came from, but but we were talking about vocabulary and descriptive. Oh, yeah. book reading. Okay, sorry, I go off on tangents. So use descriptive if you don't have the exact word that you're looking for in the system or you can't find it easily and quickly and you're feeling the pressure to, to just keep going, then find something else. Find a synonym, find some describing words like scary animal instead of monster. One girl, she didn't find animal in her device. She found pet. So it became a scary pet, which was pretty cute because the Yeti in that game is adorable. So yeah, that's my advice is grab a storybook that's interesting. I'm a big fan of ones with pictures, but you do to keep kids' attention and also to point things out, you know, especially if you have a kiddo who is not yet reading. So you can point things with the pictures, but you also need to be age appropriate. So don't choose a book that has little kid pictures when you're working with a 17-year-old. Maybe find a magazine or a National Geographic or something like that. And the other thing is you don't have to read it word for word. If these kids are not reading, you can kind of treat it like a wordless picture book and then target some of the words that you see on their AAC system and make it into an activity in that way. Okay. Review, just for my own sake. So you get your book, open it up. You're so excited. This is a fun activity, assuming that the kid likes reading books with you. And you are reading the words or making up your own words if you want to make it into like a wordless picture book activity. And you're modeling some of those words. And then you're inviting them into the conversation. What might they want to say? I wonder if... Oh, which one's your favorite? Just make sure you're not asking any questions where there's a right or wrong answer because that's testing them. And that's a very cultural thing too. There are a lot of cultures that the culture I grew up in, we did do a lot of testing. What's this? What's that? What's this? Say this. But a lot of cultures, that's not the case. And so for my students, a lot of them have grown up in cultures where testing things that they already know the answer to is just not normal practice within the home. So we want to be really respectful of that, as well as the fact that it's just not fun for most kids. I have some SLPs who will be like, he just doesn't like using it, or or the parents, this happens all the time, the parents will be like, he never uses it at home. And I'm like, well, because all you're doing is you're saying, say this, say that, where's this, point to this. Like, I don't want to go home and do that. I want to go home and like say fart, 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 fart on my device, like, because that's fun. Are you looking to move up on the pay scale? You can through SpeechTherapyPD.com in collaboration with University of the Pacific. Start earning graduate-level credits today. Courses are evidence-based and practical. Win-win. Check out SpeechTherapyPD.com for more information on earning graduate-level credits. Absolutely. You know, that brings me to a question and uh, experience that I had two years ago with a teacher and a student is that the teacher just took away the device. And it was because the student was speaking on the device and it sounded like it was nonsense, but which is part of babbling and learning to use your device and finding icons, which I tried to explain to her, but how would you handle a situation like that? She said, well, he's not talking. And I just told her, you have to keep him quiet. Like you treat him the same way you treat all of the other students. You don't tape his mouth shut (laughs) like you do the other students. And that's essentially what's happened. So what are ways that you handle 
AAC in the classroom. As far as advocating for students and getting teacher buy-in, I know there's a lot behind the question I just asked. I know there's a lot there. I'm actually doing a presentation at AAC in the cloud, I think on that exact topic and that's for a whole hour. So this happens all the time. If a kid is into their device and they're exploring it and it's fun and it makes cool noises, like you often have teachers that want to take it away because it's really distracting. And I feel for them. I've been in those classrooms and I get it. I get why it's distracting, but I also get that, you know, you need to deal with the behavior of them exploring or them trying to get attention, not take away essentially their voice. One thing that I think is helpful to adults is when, if the child is new to that device, you tell them about, okay, well, let's think about a typically developing child. How long are they making silly noises with their mouths? until real words start coming out. So for a lot of kids, that's like maybe six or seven months, right? So if they're new to their device, say, well, then we need to give this kid at least six months at the very, very least. Now that works until the six months are over. And then if they're still doing it after six months, then the teachers are a little less sympathetic. And that's when you really need to find things First of all, you teach volume down because you're like, if you're going to be saying all that and making those noises, then we need to do it quietly. Just like your friends over there are whispering, you need to whisper as well. But we also just need to teach the behavior of it is so fine to explore your device, but only at certain times. There are times that no one else is talking around us and you also need to respect what your classmates are doing within the gen ed room. Thank you. I appreciate that. For using the more high-tech devices and getting involved in conversation rather than labeling vocabulary or answering questions, then what would your IEP goal look like? For example, making a comment or asking a question about a picture, a shared book in four out of five opportunities, or question mark, question mark, question mark. So if you have a kiddo that's getting involved in like conversations or adding words together, I would just be writing a regular language goal at that point. Do you want them working on irregular past tense? Do you want them working on morphology? Do you want them working on three to four word utterances? I did a lot of MLU goals that they'll increase their MLU from 2.0 to 3.5 within a five minute conversational sample. And then I would record it and I would transcribe it. And typically your AAC users are not saying as much in five minutes. So it's not as hard to go back and describe it. So increasing MLU would be a typical goal for me or increasing MLU, including the following morphemes or including the following articles or going through Brown's stages, things like that. Awesome, thank you. As far as getting started and teaching AAC, how do you pick core words? Do you follow, you know, a systematic, I'm going to teach these four words for a week and then these four words for a week? How do you view that? Okay, so I do have a system. I am not saying it's the best system. There are people that are going to say this is not good because, and there's lots of reasons, there's lots of cons for it, but there's also some really important pros. So the system that I do and that I got our, the school I used to work at on is we did a new core word every week and we put it together with a letter. So we had a letter and core word of the week. 
And I used the, from my core board, I chose as much as I could from my core board words that were on there, but there were some words that just were not on there. Like the word for V, we did very, right? And very was not on there, but I just made a ton of materials that had to do with very. And so then what we would do is the classroom teacher and myself, because I would merge into the classroom at almost every day for circle time, is I put together all sorts of visuals. I created books. I made songs. The classroom teacher would then do like sentence strips that really focused around that core word and that phonics sound for that particular week. So all that to say that we had a rotation of 26 core words that we would go through in systematic order. Now, I'll tell you some pros and some cons. Some pros were that it was a great buy-in from the teachers. They like, they got that. They, they are like, yes, okay, we can do this. I can do all, A is all, all, all week long. I'm good with that. We'll come up with some more activities. We'll you know, do it around the room. We'll find it on the board. We'll have kids find it on the board. We'll use it in our conversation. We can set up environmental things like pictures around being like, all done or all the kids, things like that. So it was really nice to have a system and it was a predictable system. That was the other thing I really liked about it because I work with some speech paths who are just amazing and do like core word of the week, but you never know what's going to be coming up next week. Like it's just kind of this mystery and maybe she knows and nobody else and maybe she's just kind of choosing words as she feels like they're needed. But knowing what was going to come next, especially because we did this for five or six years, was really helpful for staff. Now, some disadvantages, of course, is that some of the words, the important core words, we just didn't do. We never had a week just focused on, I don't know, but there's some, there are some core words that there's two that have the exact same letter, right? So you're like, I can only choose one of these. Which one am I going to do? You know, so in that way, that wasn't so good. But if you're doing it right, you're using those words the rest of the time. You're not just modeling your core words. You're modeling all the words. You just happen to be focused on the word all during the first week of school because it's a week. The other con to this system is the fact that it was a letter of the week. And a lot of the literacy guru people will say that you really should be having more like a letter of the day, that we really need to get through the letters quickly and not spend an entire week on each letter. Be like a letter this day, a letter this day, just to get that repetition of all those letters. And I think that's totally true. I just know that for the teachers I worked with, they were already so overwhelmed that the best they could do was like put together materials for one letter every week. And then the next week, and they would prepare for the next letter. So pros and cons of that system. Yeah, I love that. Especially, I mean, a huge one for me is the pro of teacher buy-in because that has been one of my biggest struggles is trying to get that teacher buy-in. And, and I get it because I would say it's really is only this last year that I feel comfortable with AAC, that I feel like, okay, I'm not a complete imposter when it comes to this kind of thing. And so, you know, and this is me who's taken a ton of continuing education credits, trying to really grasp what AAC is, how to do it well, how to, you know, so I understand why teachers are so hesitant and scared of it because I was for so long. 
that's the thing that I've had the hardest time with is getting teacher buy-in. And, and I think maybe some of my confidence issues might've been a part of that too. I think that that's a great way to come at it as, you know, maybe I won't adopt your exact system, but really working with the teacher for figuring out, okay, here are some ideas, which idea do you want to utilize in your classroom? Right. And what was helpful for my school is we had three different classrooms of kids with complex needs. And so we were all on the same schedule, which was beautiful. We all did the same words at the same week, which was really especially helpful for me because I was moving in between all the rooms and I didn't have to prepare different things for every room. But I think it was also helpful for the teachers because they could collaborate with each other and be like, oh, what are you going to do for, you know, big week? Oh, I'm going to do this for big week or, oh, well, that was a great activity or, you know, craft you just did or whatever. Awesome. That is helpful that all three classrooms are doing the same thing. I think that that has been maybe a challenge is that I have had a preschool class and an upper elementary class that I have AAC users in. And so I think that that would be helpful to kind of get everybody on the same page as much as you can. That's age appropriate, you know? Right. Yeah. My classrooms were much closer in age than what you're describing there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. As far as parent education and parent buy-in, what are some things that you've done that have been successful there? As we speak, I am putting together a workbook for parents because I am seeing, and I knew this was going to be the case, a lot of difficulties with parent buy-in. I have a lot of parents that will just admit, oh, we, we don't use that at home, or it just sits in the backpack all night. They just bring it into school. Matter of fact, this is the saddest one. <laughs> we had a new student in our transition program, meaning he's 21 and he's about to be out of the public school system altogether. And he came and his old district and hospital said he has a device and he communicated to us that he has a device, but the family insisted that they no longer had the device but it only been two years. So we couldn't get him a new device through insurance because you ha- it has to be five years. Like losing a device is not a reason for insurance to pay for a new one. And there were language barriers. The home language was not English. And just today, literally today, he came in with his device. They found it because they had moved in the midst of all this. So it was, I think it was in some moving box, but obviously it wasn't being used. The very fact that it was in a moving box and the parents didn't even think they had it anymore means it was not being used. So that's a big goal of mine for upcoming years is to figure out how to work with families, especially because in the community where I live, we have a really hard time just getting families to attend IEP meetings because of language barriers and and a lot of things. There's a lot of different factors. They're working, you know, just so many factors. So trying to come up with a way to increase parent buy-in within the school setting. I think hospitals get a little more buy-in because the families are already there. But within the school setting is definitely a challenge. And I'm hoping that by creating this workbook and maybe an asynchronous course for families, I'm hoping I'll get a little bit better buy-in in the future. Awesome. Looking forward to your workbook. You know, maybe it will be on Teachers Pay Teachers for the rest of us. We'll see. That would be amazing. Some other questions that I have for you as far as AAC goes, we've talked about parent buy-in, we've talked about classroom buy-in, we've touched on goals a little bit. What do you recommend for those of us that are 
not super familiar with different types of AAC or programs even. I mean, there is just so much out there as to when we are starting to trial things with students of ours. Where do you recommend starting? I have my favorites. And I mean, do you want me to tell you my favorites? It's kind of like beefing up these companies. Well, I mean, it's good to know for those of us, you know, I, to be honest with you, the previous district that I was at, it was just, oh, Prolo Quota Go on an iPad. That was what the kids got. You know, Mm -hmm. there was no, and then the district that I was at before that, it was everyone got a Toby Dynabox. So I'm not super familiar because it's kind of whatever the district says goes. And, and I think that's totally okay. I honestly think as long as it's a robust system and that there's some buy-in, I think any of them could work. But I'll tell you what my favorites are, and it's neither of those. So my absolute favorite is using like an accent with a unity system, which is everything is three hits or less. You have an activity row. You have to memorize the sequence of things. But people who are going to become very proficient AAC users, you know, the adults who are AAC users who are giving speeches, they're either typing or they're using like a system like that, where it's three hits or less, very fast. They don't even have to look. It's just boop, 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 boop. They know where their fingers go and they got it. What is that one called again? So that would be that Unity 84, but Lamp Words for Life is almost exactly the same. So I don't like Lamp quite as much. And the reason I don't like Lamp quite as much, there's two reasons. One is it doesn't have the activity row, which I really like. The other is that one of the premises behind Lamp is that you're only going to find the words in one place. So you never have a multiple meaning word in two different categories. And where this comes out a lot is the word orange. So if you want the word orange as a fruit, too bad, you have to find it in the colors. So the student needs to understand that they really want that orange over there, yum, 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 but they have to know in their head, oh yeah, but it's not gonna be with the rest of my food. I need to memorize that it's under my colors. And they learn, they do learn, that's just me. My second favorite, but it's the one that I get the most buy-in from everyone, so it's the one I actually recommend the most, is using TouchChat with WordPower or NovaChat with WordPower. And I like that one because I feel like it's the most communication partner friendly. It's not as intimidating to look at, even at a big grid. It does have categories on the top, so you can find your categories pretty easily. And it helps with some word prediction. If you hit... I, then it automatically puts up a bunch of verbs that you are probably going to use after I. And it sticks on morphology really quickly up there too. So if you're like, I am, and then it gives you choices that already have an ING at the end of it. So it really helps build that morphology. So that's the one I end up recommending the most. And then as kind of my distant third, we will often try Proloquo. But I also, the thing I like about the LAMP or Unity and the Touch Chat is that you can get it on an, an iPad or on a dedicated device. So you're not stuck with only an iPad. You have, there's different hardware options. So like I just have this one little boy who 
needs a device and he probably closed his thing. I mean, he just got it. And I was like, oh, fine. But we can't get it funded because it has to be on an iPad and the insurance won't fund it. I mean, we can't get it funded. We're going an alternate route. But so you run into some more barriers when that's the issue. I see. That makes sense. Thank you. And thank you for giving us the pros and cons of why you like your favorites, because that helps those of us who may not be familiar with those, but to think of as we're evaluating systems to think about the pros and cons you just listed. So that was really helpful. Thank you for that. So as we are thinking, so we've talked about a not quite assessment, but just what kinds of programs are out there. We've talked about buy-in from parents, from classroom teachers. We've talked about modeling. Thank you. I feel like you've really given us a really good overview of AEC as best as can happen in an hour. I wasn't quite sure how we were going to tackle such a broad spectrum of things within AEC. We talked about goals. As we're wrapping up, why don't you just go through your three two, one, one more time and go over the WISE acronym as best as you can. And then uh, if there's time for any other questions, feel free, please, to pop those either into the chat or the Q&A box. So three things that I think every school-based SLP should know about AAC. One, that it's like a language and it has to be directly taught, just like you would directly teach Spanish to someone who was about to go to Mexico so that they could get around. You wouldn't just plop them in, you would directly teach them. Two, AAC should be part of a robust system that includes many components, not just the white tech, not just the high tech, but everything in between. And three, that every SLP should know and proclaim the communication partner strategies of WISE. You can use a different acronym if you want. I just like WISE. And those are, again, wait for five to 10 seconds with an expectant delay, invite your communication partner to be part of the conversation without requiring it and without quizzing them show by modeling on their system how they might want to say something and expand by adding a little bit more to whatever they do communicate. In terms of two resources, one was to start looking up the light tech boards that are offered by a lot of companies that you can download. And then number two was to look at some of the free AAC apps that are out there that are just completely free or that have free versions for SLPs so that they can try it out with their students. One thing to keep in mind is I have seen in some Facebook groups, some speech paths are like, we don't have access to anything. But you should know that if you contact the companies, they are more than happy to send you trial devices to try out with your kids. So you might not have access to anything, but you can still get a trial device from the companies because that's how they get business. And then one actionable strategy is to sit down with a book and make it a really fun activity and make sure to use those wise strategies and just have a lot of fun reading the book while you're modeling on the communication system. Awesome. Thank you for that. I'm remembering you bringing it up before we went somewhere else, but I really love how you brought up the aspect of testing and asking questions that are fun. You know, as we are communicating with each other, if I were to ask you, what's your name? What do you do for a living? It would feel like an interview, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not really fun for you at all because you're like, 
Is she not listening to anything I've said today? Does she not care about me? Or the classics, the teacher goes, how many are there? And you're like, duh, there's nine. You know that. I know that. Like, why do I need to tell you? (laughs) Right, right. And so, you know, I think that that's a, a major piece of making communication seem fun and making it seem like we do gain information from each other in a fun way and not just, oh, why are we talking about this? We all know the answer. So I thought that that was a really great point to bring up, especially when we're doing therapy and reading books. And I really loved your, I wonder question, because when we wonder, we're going to ask a question that we don't know. So I love that point. Thank you so very much for just this whirlwind dive into AAC. I really feel like we covered so many different topics today and so many different aspects of AAC. And I honestly need to just spend more time with you so that you can help us dive even deeper into, you know, what goal writing looks like, what assessment looks like. But I do appreciate you sharing your pros and cons of the, how you teach core words, because that will really help us evaluate how we're going to teach them. And I really appreciate how you did pros and cons of the different systems that you like. All of that is so helpful. Uh, Thank you. Really. Thank you so, so very much, Dr. Dodge. I'm so grateful that you set aside this time for us today. And as a reminder to everyone else at the conclusion of today's course, please log into your course portal and complete all modules, especially the one entitled quiz for those live CEUs. And we will see you all back here next Tuesday, 5 p.m., 8 p.m., depending on where you are for the next episode. All right, everyone. Thank you. Have a great evening. Thanks for joining us at This Speech Life. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. (music) 